Hey, this is Sandy. And Randy. And we're here on AT Corner. Being an athletic trainer comes with ups and downs, and we're here to showcase it all. Join us as we share our world in sports medicine. Welcome back to another episode of AT Corner. For our education episode this week, we have a very exciting interview that we have been wanting to do for a while now. We have someone who is not only the host of AT Chat or Athletic Training Chat, the podcast, um, not only the author of the AT Daily Journal or the Athletic Training Daily Journal, um, but also the chairman and CEO of Clinically Pressed, which is a nonprofit focused on health, fitness, nutrition, safety, um, but someone in our profession Mm -hmm. who is just sees a vision for our profession. Yes, very passionate. And who are, who is that? We will be speaking with Joel Ludke. He received his Bachelor's of Science in Kinesiology slash Athletic Training from the University of Wisconsin-Madison. He received his Master's of Science uh, in Exercise Science from the University of Kansas. And he is also a PhD candidate in leadership and administration within athletics at Concordia University, Chicago. Which is basically what we're talking about. We're talking about self-growth. We're talking about leadership. We are kind of talking about all the things in between. And honestly, the soft skills and kind of things that you don't learn in school, which I feel like we talk about. All the time. There there are a lot of things that, that you don't learn in school. But I feel like this specifically, we really delve into yes what it takes to not only be a good clinician but a good leader and a good person absolutely 100 percent. with the experiences that he's had and everything that he brings to the table we thought he'd be a perfect person to hear from so without further ado let's hear from joel so i figured you know with how the winter's been going everywhere it's probably a great way just start with some cryo breakers. I think everyone wants to break some cryo right now. <laughs> what made you become an athletic trainer? I don't have the typical story of, you know, I got hurt. I did get hurt in high school. Thankfully, nothing major, but I didn't have an athletic trainer. I had no idea what one was. I'd never heard of it. Um, I remember seeing at a local community college when we were playing some basketball there on their weight room, it said kinesiology on it. I was like, well, that's something I want to do. Um, And that's all I knew. And so when I actually went on my freshman orientation uh, to UW-Madison, they were talking about this athletic training thing because I was going into the kinesiology school of ed. You know, here's where it is. And I was like, oh, well, it's like medicine and sports and you get to be around the sports. That sounds kind of cool. I think I'll do that. Um, I believe we were like the second accredited class through potentially or something along those lines. But ultimately I wasn't sure how I was going to get in. Uh, It was apply after your sophomore year uh, to start your junior year. I was like, all right, I'm going to like sell myself on this like letter. Like that's how I'm going to get into this. Uh, My grades weren't amazing, but they were decent. And when I went to apply, there was none of that or like no interview process. Uh, So I was very, very nervous um, if I was going to get in and, uh, obviously got in, I uh, went through two and a half years in that and here I am now. So and not the classic story, uh, but just kind of fell into it and it's, it's been good. Uh, I've been glad it happened. Do you remember your first impression with an athletic trainer? I 
think we had to do, I don't remember how many observation hours we were supposed to do, like 20 or 40. I think I ended up mm-hmm. doing three uh, just because by the time <laughs> I got to observe a few of them, I was like, yep, this is it. Like, this is what we're going to do. Uh, uh-huh. And that was it. And I can't remember. It might have been with our hockey athletic trainer there um, and the student uh, that was working with them. And that was, it was enough for me to just jump in and go for it. Oh, that's that it was literally love at truth at yeah. first sight. True I mean, yeah, I, I wouldn't always recommend, I wouldn't recommend my path <laughs> to other people, <laughs> like, um, but it, it's worked out pretty well for me. I would say so now that you have a podcast and everything, yeah, right, right. <clears throat> yeah, you know what's funny though? This is the second time that we've had some, or like second time in a row that we've had someone on that hasn't been the quote unquote conventional, like finding of athletic training so that's pretty cool i think it is i mean i i i want to say that i like these these like non-traditional stories Mm -hmm. better but also i feel like the traditional stories of having an athletic trainer just shows like the impact that athletic trainers can make you know like they both have really really cool origin stories yeah for sure and hey joe i feel you because uh my first day of uh, observing i did healing lace pads and i you know i still fell in love with the profession so <laughs> that hey that first day can make a big difference there you go there you go <laughs> so now that you are an athletic trainer and beyond um what is your athletic training muse so this is a question we always ask that is a modality rehab tool tape brace etc really any tool of the trade that represents you as a clinician I spent a lot of time trying to figure this one out. So I came up with two answers in case you guys are like, the first one doesn't cut it. Um, (laughs) I truly feel like the amount of things you can accomplish with just just your hands in terms of care and treatment and even rehab um, is probably the most valuable thing you can have. Um, I've got two soft tissue heavy early in my career, worked with a lot of track and field, um, Mm -hmm. if that explains it to people listening, uh, and then kind of came around more so to with the rehab stuff. But if I had to pick one, like, that's what I was told by a bunch of people. And I couldn't agree more with them that that allows you to do so much. And it's worth getting really good um, in a bunch of different ways, just by able to use what you have. So that would be my one. And then if that doesn't cut it, some version of a functional trainer. If I had the budget for it, the Kaiser version, just because it is so adaptable and adjustable and you can do almost anything with it. If you just get a little creative, um, I think that would be probably my one A and one B man, just a little creative. I feel like just a little creative and adaptable just defines athletic training. For sure. Exactly. Yeah. Also, absolutely. The hands for the muse is, uh, uh, becoming fairly common. I would say that yeah. explains athletic training. So, yeah. and I love that one too, because I feel like not, it's something that I wouldn't have thought mm-hmm. at, like ever, but every time anyone brings up like that answer, I'm like, that makes so much sense. Yeah. Like you really can do so much and mm-hmm. like the healing touch yep. when you actually are able to make an impact on someone with like manual therapy or soft tissue, yep. like you were saying. It makes such a difference. And it highlights the art of athletic training, just Mm -hmm. going off a feel and, you know, what you can do with your hands and skill wise. So for sure. You can cover the whole spectrum of the profession. Almost all right there. (laughs) A hundred percent. 
So at AT Corner, we like to blend uh, evidence with experience. So do you have maybe a story, an experience, or a case study about growth of yourself, other athletic trainers, or even the profession itself? If you know, Kind of the evidence um, and everything like that. So getting back to track and field example, um, I dove deep between my work with the with track in grad school and then kind of my first re- real job um, coming out. Uh, we were a very distance-heavy program, uh, the mm-hmm. one that I worked with. And so a lot of chronic overuse. So I just started reading every article I could find on IT band syndrome, you know, and all the common things that you deal with. But IT band syndrome is always, you know, one of those that is just like, there never seems to be a good way. And so digging into the evidence and you read one study that hip strength is what you got to do. You focus on hip strength amongst other things. And then you read the next study and it says hip strength doesn't do anything like it. You, if you, you go and you almost read all of it, it's like, well, what do I do? Just sit there and stare at the person and we're eventually going to heal up. Um, and so that for me was really kind of like, okay, what makes the most sense to me and how this goes? Is hip strength going to cure quote unquote IT band syndrome? Maybe, maybe not. Is it going to make it worse? Probably not. Does it have the opportunity to make that person better? I could argue that it does, you know, risk versus reward is pretty low in the risk side. And so that for me, was really kind of coming along to the like evidence-based continuum or people have said the evidence-based tripod and kind of taking all of those things in uh, with that. And I, at one point early in my career thought, you know, I'm going to make kind of my template, my protocol for, you know, all these injuries. And just as I've evolved over time, I've kind of focused on this idea of like, I've got structured principles of what I think works best for any given injury, but I have a lot of flexibility in that. And that comes down to the patient and everything else that nobody's ever in the exact same spot mm-hmm. and their injury, you know, no hamstring strain is the same um, no matter, you know, just because of so many other factors. So having those base ideas of what I'm going to do and kind of the progression we're going to have, but also being open to responding to that person and just what I'm seeing and my knowledge base was really kind of an eye-opening thing for me and just helped me get a little less rigid in some things that I thought I needed to early on in my career. Um, So still use a ton of evidence, getting ideas, things like that. But again, it's all kind of piling it into what have I seen work, what makes sense, what doesn't make sense, and applying that to each situation that I ultimately and you know working with and with a patient i think that's one of the hardest things for a new mm-hmm. clinician a student a new clinician a young clinician to grasp is the time that it takes to actually see things yeah. over and over and over again so you can build yep. your own experience yeah beyond like just like years of experience but experience within like a certain injury or a certain condition i was just having this conversation with the student i'm precepting right now is i just asked the question you know what makes an athletic trainer good or you know what makes potentially one you know quote unquote better than another you know however you want to define that it's a tough thing to define and for me, I'm like, if we're talking specifically the treatment kind of rehab side, it's 
you've got kind of the spectrum of, you know, after the injury, here's the, you know, pain control, range of motion, strength, you know, up to functional activity, return to play. To me, which comes with experience and really understanding what you're doing, trying things, seeing what works, kind of having an extra tool behind you if you need to is what makes you improve and get really good is if you can figure out a, where you drop them along that continuum and then when to push them forward, when to pull them back and kind of feeling that to me is where you start seeing like the difference between uh, potential difference between clinicians, just in general, we'll just put Mm -hmm. say with that is, and that comes with time and experience and you really reflecting on what you're doing and how that works. Not to say anybody is better than another, but if you see people getting phenomenal results, they probably really work on that ebb and flow, however they go about it. And that's how you can improve it. I think as an individual clinician is really how to figure out where that is and continue to do that again, down to each individual. Yeah, most definitely. I think it's a lot of those like quote unquote, like those like soft skills that really kind of sets it apart. Cause like the, the science part of it, like we all know, we all know, you know, this modality is, you know, going to do this, this, and this, you know, this rehab, we're focusing on this, but being able to treat a person like a person and kind of like go off of what they're saying or, Hey, here's kind of what I've seen. I like it when I do it this way. And so I think that makes a big difference on just the individual aspect. Absolutely. So going off kind of that same topic, what do you feel the importance is of athletic trainers reflecting on their personal and their professional life? I think it's huge. I think, and some other people have said this too, so I'm stealing it from all kinds of people, but you know, like with leadership and I even think being a clinician, having humility is the number one key to almost everything. You know, the ability that if a situation isn't going the way you want it to, or the patient wants it to, to not jump to every other factor outside of what you can control and Mm -hmm. ultimately yourself. And that comes to that kind of self-reflection piece. You know, if something isn't going right, stepping back, okay, what do we need to do? I think what I, I screwed this up a ton when I was a younger athletic trainer um, and still saw it with the younger staff of like, you can treat all you want, but if you're not modifying their participation or how you're progressing them back, it might not mean anything. And that's a hard thing to work through because you're dealing with a coach and, you know, the athlete wants to get back and there's a lot of factors there, but being able to reflect on that, are you truly doing everything or are you just throwing another modality at it? Are we trying to address everything that possibly is going on that could be contributing to that? And so I think professionally that's huge to just be able to sit back and look at that or even on that reflection are we progressing them fast enough you know could we bypass some basic simple throwers 10 things because that's we're not post-surgical where we've got to slowly build them up we're at a different place so are you doing the best rehab you can for their current situation Um, and always having that self-reflection and then again personally just with all the interactions we never know what's rarely do we know what's going on in another person's life or what they're also dealing with outside of that injury. And especially for anybody, I mean, really in any setting, (laughs) absolutely any setting, I've seen it more so in the clinic now with just more general population, if you will, patients, like there's some people that come in that have some stuff going on in their life. Mm -hmm. And so to sit there and get annoyed with them that they missed a PT session, like, you know, some of these people can't miss work because that's yeah. a payment of something. It's it's a different 
stressor than it is for the collegiate or the high school athlete, not to belittle those stressors at all, because they're also very prominent. And so again, trying to make sure that you're reflecting on that, you're doing what you can to make it work for them, meeting them where they are. I I think that humility and that self-reflection is just absolutely key to just, I mean, life and just being a, a good professional as well, in my opinion. I feel like self-growth and self-awareness kind of go hand in hand too. Mm -hmm. Whereas um, I feel like people think that they're self-aware. Yeah. But I don't think until you actually are self-aware, do you realize how unaware you are? And it's hard. Uh, Mm -hmm. I was reading a book. uh, It's called Quit by Annie Duke. And she's talking about kind of like accountability partners, basically. People that you are willing to call you out. And honestly, I don't have one of those. I've got buddies. um, And they like to play devil's advocate, which helps, I think, with it. But I think that's such a hard thing. Because, yeah, all of us can think we're self-aware, myself included. And it's really hard. I think we see it a lot on social media with it. Like I've seen people post things and it's like, I I think if you would have sat on that for an hour or a day, (laughs) that probably wouldn't have been what you posted. And I very much try and do that. Um, Anytime I post is, you know, am I going to regret saying this tomorrow or Mm -hmm. in 10 years, if I'm up for something big, if somebody goes back and reads this, are they going to, understand what I said in the way that I meant it and not in a bad way. We see that happen to people all the time. You know, people go digging through their old Twitter, you know, things and we get caught in something we probably shouldn't have done. And uh, Mm -hmm. yeah, it's so important, but yes, that sometimes having that extra person to help you realize that can be useful. So kind of right along those lines, like going down that road, what would you say to someone who maybe doesn't feel that self-reflection is super important to just them developing as a person? I just don't understand see how you can keep growing as a person though. I'm not that old. I'm 38 this summer, so I'm not that I'm getting older, but not that old. Um, Not wise by any stretch of the imagination, but just even like thinking back, to my grad school days, like mm-hmm. I thought I had figured out. I realized that I didn't. Um, I got, I had, <laughs> whether I asked for it or not, an accountability partner back then um, who was not afraid to tell me if I was messing up, but it's ultimately changed my career for the better um, going through that. Just ha- understanding how they think they're going to grow if you're not reflecting on what you're doing. You know, there's so much divisiveness not just within the profession, but just in general. And how does that ever get better if we're not able to ourselves stop Mm -hmm. and actually listen to someone else? Because if you're just going in hot with your take, no matter what they say, Mm -hmm. it's not going to change. It's it's just going to stay the same or potentially get worse. Um, I've talked with this just kind of with some buddies, you know, it seems like everybody's got to one up each other and we go out to these extremes and at some point, I don't know, hopefully sooner than later, I feel like that has to come back to the middle because it just, you can't, you can only in theory go so far, mm-hmm. hopefully, um, before that goes through. So I, I just would encourage them to, you know, stop and think because you might be able to understand someone better 
and focus on that part of it, asking yourself why you believe something or what it is, or do you truly understand it before you go spouting it off, of, you know, about whatever, because there's a lot of people out there and a lot of experts that are more expert than you, more expert than me in a lot of things. Mm-hmm. And I think that is something just, it makes life easier, I would think, to be able to have that reflection. Oh, you definitely. I don't think that you can truly understand other people until yeah. you can truly understand yourself. Could not agree more. And that's uh, a long I journey. think it's also. Oh, go ahead. No, sorry. No, it's a long journey to understanding yourself. 100%. And, you know, it, like you said, it, it helps put in perspective of understanding that, like, because obviously when you're going through something, you're like, I'm going through all this stuff, you know, like I can't make this and this. So it helps you really understand that. Like, again, like our patients, we come in, like we don't know necessarily what they're going through. And a lot of them are going through some really dark stuff. Yep. So it really kind of helps put that in perspective. Like, okay, I like, okay, I get why, you know, I only see you twice a week for like your, your treatments and stuff. Like it, it really helps put that in perspective. I also think that you don't necessarily have to feel like you are going through the same things mm-hmm. as someone else in order to understand them. Correct. I agree. That's one I've tried to be, I haven't figured out the best wording from it. Yeah, Cause like if somebody says something and they've got a situation going on, like it's so hard to say, I understand because I don't, I can't, Mm-mm. you know, I, yeah. there's because I'm not in your shoes. I don't have your thing. You know, if I want to help, but, I'm not in that position. It's hard for me to say I understand. So I've tried to kind of refocus that on like, I comprehend what you're saying. And I feel like I've got, you know, I I can at least I hear it from my vantage point. Here's where I see some potential things. Obviously I I'm not there. I don't have those specifics and it's easier for me to say, because again, I'm not there. Um, But I very much tried to avoid that. Like I understand where you're coming from. Cause I, I don't, I can't fully, I just, I just mm. can't. It's just me trying to apply broader things to you for you to then take away and apply it to yourself. And again, that kind of comes down to that self-reflection because again, no two instances are the same. And just saying that this worked here doesn't mean it's going to work there. I eat all of the research stuff that we were referencing early as well. <laughs> Absolutely. So what role would you say that self-reflection plays in leadership? Back to kind of what I said earlier, it's, I think it's number one in that humility. Um, I get on this high horse and sorry if I'm going to now, cause I think we're going to go for it. I grew up playing basketball. That was my favorite thing when I was com- growing up. Um, and one mixtape was a big deal. Um, if people have heard of that. And so within and one in this tour, they all had nicknames all kinds of different nicknames. And one of the things that they always said on that is, you know, in that world, you don't give yourself a nickname. It is given to you. Uh, so you don't get to call yourself this. They, you know, the group gives it to you. And I very, very much believe that is the exact same thing with leadership and having that awareness that without people following you, you're not technically a leader in quotes. You can definitely have a leadership mindset and want mindset and be a, want to be a leader. Absolutely, like that is everybody should be kind of if that's of interest to in them should be striving for that in whatever way that fits their life. But it drives me absolutely nuts to no end to hear people in administrative positions that 
Yes, they earn those and, you know, they got there. Absolutely. Refer to themselves as just leadership without, you can call yourself administration. It right. is up to the people that are underneath you working wise within the organization mm -hmm. to basically designate you as a leader. And that may not be explicit. You know, I don't walk up to my boss and be like, I consider you a leader. Like I don't necessarily do that. Or like our local CEO, cause let's be honest, I don't get a meeting with him anyway, but like, you know, I can call him a leader because I believe that he is. I don't, it just doesn't sit well with me that in this position of administration or position of authority, just because of a title that automatically the person in that just, it, it does not automatically equal leader in my opinion. Um, and so I think having that reflection of that, you need to earn that part of it is so huge. And that keeps people humble. Uh, one of my favorite quotes from Simon Sinek is, um, being a leader isn't a license to do less. It's the responsibility to do more. Uh, mm -hmm. And it's hard. Leadership is, it's easy, mm -hmm. simple, but it's hard. Um, and that is, again, I think where self-reflection comes in there of how are you serving, taking care of, and ultimately then leading those people below you and with the focus of them, you wanting them to see you as that person. So kind of like a, a, including that self-reflection, what other key characteristics do you, would you consider like quote unquote good in a leader? Again, that humility will be number one. Um, I'm big on some kind of combination of the servant leadership slash transformational leadership where the focus is really on the, the people that you are leading. I think the world today, um, the generations, however we want to define those, are demanding that. I think that is huge with it. Uh, communication is huge. Uh, I think you can solve so many things from a leadership position if you just keep people informed. And it's a fine line of bombarding them to the point that they're now ignoring it because, it, you know, it just it's too much. Um, but also making sure that you're doing it. I still don't remember where I got this from, but there was this concept of like, people have to hear things like three times before it finally registers. So as that leadership, you've kind of got to get creative in how you relay that if it's definitely something you want them to, but sending out one thing with like, hey, here's our new mission statement or you know purpose statement and that's it, it's just done. Like that's mm -hmm. not going to register with most of the people you're with. So you got to be creative in that way with communication um, in my respect. And then the communication, again, just talking to your people, what do they need? What do they want? You know, if you're solving this problem as a leader, you are working with probably a level of knowledge that the ones below don't have. You're seeing a bigger picture, hopefully, because just of where you're at, but you got to go down to those people that are actually implementing it and understand from them what the issues are and figure out how to blend those together. Yeah, absolutely. I love all of what you're saying about leadership and um, earning earning your spot as a leader, not just s stepping into a role that is titled leader. Yeah, um, sure. because it's true. You can have a leader at any any level because it's not about the title; it's about sure. what you bring. Yeah, and I think. Um... <laughs> Like when I've been in like a, a supervisor role, like I like to think 
I was, I was being a good leader, but you know, like, again, it's more of a supervisor role. And I feel like that, that servant leadership is kind of a big thing is like, at the end of the day, like I'm trying to put my staff in the best position for them to succeed. So whatever they need, like I'm here to help you guys, you know, I'm just like, I'm the conduit to the other administration for you guys to help kind of advocate for what we need. So, you know, whatever you need to get your job done better, like I'm here for that. So I think sometimes that kind of gets forgotten and like those roles. Yeah, that's one, um, especially more in hindsight in a previous role where I was a head AT and then ultimately got up to kind of an assistant AD over both AT and sports performance. Uh, I see it more clearly now, obviously, than I did then. I wish I could go do a few things differently there. But it's, you know, figuring out what the goals are of everybody that works within those departments and how can we take those and maybe that work those into like my bigger goals, which we obviously want to have bigger goals across the department for everybody. But if somebody has a specific, like, this is where I want to go. Okay. How can we make that benefit? What is ultimately my vision of driving this thing forward? Um, Again, not easy to do. um, But I think that creates such a level of buy-in from people because now you're seeing them, you're helping them develop. So if they want to take the next step in their career, you've been there to help them do it while it's also obviously benefiting the greater good. I, I'm really glad you brought up that point of buying. Cause that's what I was thinking too. Is just like, you feel like if the, like as a supervisor, if the rest of the staff is like contributing to stuff or has ideas and can explore their ideas, I feel like they're, they feel more invested in the program. And so Absolutely. you're, you're a lot happier in your setting uh, because now you feel like, Hey, I'm doing something. I'm contributing. I'm not just, Oh, I'm just here. I'm just working. I'm just, I'm just covering basically. And it's finding what people are good at too. Um, that was a lesson I learned. Oh oh God. I don't remember what book I stole this from now. Potentially it was from, um, radical candor. Um, but it's the idea of like there's superstars and then there's rock stars. And so superstars are the visionary, like pie in the sky, always got a thing, wanting to do something new. Um, that type of person. So you can kind of give maybe a broader project to them. And then you got your rock stars that are really good at what they do, but that's what they want to do. They aren't necessarily looking for a new initiative, like, but they're really, really good at the things that are part of their job. Like they may not be the person that's going to go home and work on something out of a, cause it's a passion project around work. They might have their own personal one, but not necessarily work And understanding that, and then utilizing that was a big step for me. And that is, I just learned a couple of people on my staff. They're very good. I would work with them anytime. But if I needed something kind of done that was that just needed to get done and it was of their interest, it was going to get done. But they weren't people I could necessarily give another initiative because that just wasn't what they liked doing. And so that realization was also big for me because then everybody started getting happier because I wasn't. <laughs> giving them something that they just, they weren't really wanting to do. And then I would get frustrated because it wouldn't get done and, you know, type of a thing. And so kind of figuring out personalities within your staff to help do that is also just key. Um, and that takes, you know, some reflection on what you are too, when it comes to that as well. It just goes back to knowing yourself so you can yeah. know others back to that communication piece back to go. back to self-reflection. Back to self-reflection, <laughs> back to um, rec- being a leader and recognizing your 
like who you're working with, the strengths of everyone. It's just like a full circle moment. And speaking of that, same thing. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, so you mentioned communication, and we have not even brought up AT Daily Journal yet. Which, um, if anyone who's listening has been following us for any amount of time, you know that we love the AT Daily Journal. Um, Joel here is one of the creators of, along with Rick Cox. Um, so we would be amiss to not bring this up. And mm -hmm. it is so, I would say this is such an important piece if you are looking for self-reflection in athletic training, specifically for athletic training. Yeah. Um, but I just wanted to read one of these prompts that you guys, just the top of a prompt um, in this AT Daily Journal. In a heated argument, you can always stop and ask, what evidence would change your mind? If the answer is nothing, then there's no point in continuing the debate. You can lead a horse to water, but you can't make it think. So there are so many that of these that stuck out to me, but but this one specifically, I feel like we talk about a lot on the podcast. Mm -hmm. And we talk about how, you know, uh, it's perspective of someone else. And let's say a lot of times the communication and conflict battles that we might come up in a traditional setting might mm -hmm. be your coach. Yeah. So when you're walking up to a coach and are they, are you, and are they coming into this as trying to find a solution yeah. or are you guys just trying to share your sides? Mm -hmm. Right. So right. anyway, like this, this is such a thought provoking and such a specific prompt. Mm -hmm. I was wondering how you guys came up with some of the prompts in this journal. Yeah. So a little bit more backstory, um, on it. It was after I've graduated in the fall of the, basically in the winter is when I graduated. And so I had a whole semester before I was off to grad school, um, with basically not much to do. Um, I worked at night, um, and so I just have time throughout the day. And so I, I wasn't a big reader, but then started becoming into being a reader. And so with every book I read, because I'm a huge nerd, anything I highlight in it, I write down the page number on a note card, which is my bookmark. And then when I'm done, I will literally go back through the book and anything I highlighted, I type into a Word document. Um, and I mark what page it's on. So I always have it, which I do it, which it can be kind of a waste of time at times. Um, but under the guise of if I ever need to go back and search for something, now I don't have to page through the book. I can just search through a document. Um, and it's been more useful than I thought in um, some schoolwork, uh, which has also just been vindication for me to keep doing it. And so I had all of these documents and then Rick and I connected via social media. Um, just found out we had a lot of commonalities big reader he is as well so we'd share books back and forth and then i don't remember exactly what prompted it i think maybe one of us had just read a ryan holiday book and ryan holiday had the daily stoic um and, which is a, another journal um just based off of stoicism with some prompts and so i think i threw it out there to him just because we both had read so much you know, hey, what if we put this together with prompts and, you know, quotes or, you know, passages from books we liked, and then we can come up with the questions based off of that and kind of tailor them to the, the athletic training profession. So we have a spreadsheet with 
I don't know, tons, a lot of quotes and ideas in it. Mo- a lot, you know, half maybe that we didn't use. Uh, wow. With that, we just kind of threw them all in there. And then we both started going through and it's like, I really like this one. I think this could fit and started coming up with questions on it and then started organizing it. We kind of broke it into the different categories. So we had a little bit of everything. Um, tried to focus more on some specific ones like leadership and um, some of those other ones. So that's how it came to be. Um, and then it was a lot of just sending documents back and forth, editing until it all kind of came together um, at the end. So that was the prompt for it. So it was just really um, utilizing lot For me, it was nice because I had all these things. So I was just searching through these documents, basically reading through. Um, I think Rick was actually like going back and paging through books that he he liked and pulling some things out. So that's that's ultimately how we found the content to put in it. Well, oh, it's, awesome. it's really paid off. I feel like there's so many great and, and because you guys put the sources on each one, like I feel like that mm-hmm. too, if we really, um, really liked one, we can know For where sure. it came from and um, we can go more into that if that's something that we want to do. Um, but I really like the idea of this too, not only yeah. for yourself, but um, like, I want to take it to work and, and we have like, um, you know, if we have downtime, um, we have a lot of students. And so mm, some of yeah. these are really great for not only like a self writing down, like reflection, but also like discussing in a group mm-hmm. and also hearing other people's opinions. Totally agree. That, and that was kind of the prompt. Um, I think that's what we said it in kind of our little intro to it it's a lot of the things that we wish somebody would have said to us when we were younger. Cause I think it would have saved me. I, I joke with my students. I feel like I'm 10 years behind where I could be both in practice and just kind of in general, because I didn't at my fault, I will just put it at my fault that like, I didn't ask for it. I didn't seek it out. And I wish I would have like, reading some of these books like you just feel like you're getting called out in a good way because again you're reflecting on what you're reading and applying it to you and it's just like oh man like i do that like i can't do that anymore like i gotta be you know like that oops like you know i'm that person that this per that this book is talking about right now and so really i wish it would have been something i had early on in my career because i think it would have saw saved a lot of headaches still a lot to learn in the moment but at least i would have maybe had some guidance, self-given guidance of how I would want to deal with stuff instead of trying to figure it out in real time. I mean, also I feel like timing wise, um, you know, there's, there's a certain, the same, you can read the, read one thing and one year and you can read it 20 years later and realize that it has a completely different impact on you. Yeah, absolutely. it could also be a timing thing. Like, were you ready to hear <laughs> so-and-so? <laughs> right. Or yeah, even uh, and that's always my encouragement to any students is I'm telling you this now because I screwed <laughs> it up and I'm just trying to save you from going through it. Like you're going to run into your own. I ask this to educators every once in a while, you know, if somebody's on the train tracks and you see the train coming, <laughs> do you let them get run over by the train so they learn it and figure it out? Or do you push them out of the way and say, you almost just got run over by a train. I know this because I survived it and did the same thing. Here's why 
Now you're probably going to get run over by a train at a different point, but maybe it's further down the track. So then, right. you know, it's, it's a different learning thing and it, it's a balance. It's situational, but that's where I kind of have spun it to them as, you know, I'm doing this because you don't need to go through this process because I did. And now we're just trying to ultimately make it better. So that's not a thing anymore uh, or whatever it may be. So on your podcast, AT Chat, you asked us a very good question about where do you see the profession going in five years? So we decided we wanted to turn turn it around onto you. So where do you see the profession going in five years? I think it's encouraging overall, um, I, but I think there's a lot of work to be done. Um, like I have multiple, from like a service standpoint, we got to continue to flip the idea of that it's you need to serve the profession. Yes, people need to do that because without it, nothing happens. But how does that association at any level serve back to you? It's a mindset that's changed. It's got to just be a, a kind of a flip of the script, if you will. I think that'll be huge and that's being demanded and hopefully it's being heard. Um, I know just in our state association, we're having way more discussions on that, which is, I think is great um, that they're happening now. What are we going to do to deliver that? Um, I think the expansion into other areas is huge. It's good for the profession. There's just too many skills that we have to not be able to serve these different populations, um, industrial, tactical, all the different ways that you go. I think there's a, you know, just a mindset ATs have that can be really valuable in terms of how a lot of these, you know, populations are approached in kind of a different way. Uh, we had a, such a thing with that with the local fire department and our occupational health um, team kind of wanted to be involved. And it was just interesting to see because from occupational health, they're looking at it's their occupation. They are firefighters like that. And it's that we were looking at them as tactical athletes. And so just a different mindset with the same general goal, but different mindset of how we would approach it and different people within the department react differently to it. They're going through their own evolution with that. And, you know, some old guard doesn't see themselves as an athlete. They're just, they're a firefighter, but more of them are seeing the benefit of, you know, if I'm being trained like a relatively high level athlete, that's going to be good for my occupation and hopes of things. Um, I think the biggest one is, and everybody says it, it's the salary. And I think, and the hours, I think that's something that's changing slowly. Uh, I'm not in the D3 world anymore, but that's where I spent a majority of my career um, I did, just saw from social media that that was actually a topic of conversation at the D, NCAA D3 convention this past winter. Oh, wow. um, Dr. Hanline brought it up and basically said that ATs don't want to work crappy hours for no like little pay. Like, And I think people had heard that, but the fact that it was being said by the NCAA in some form or fashion, I think is huge. Will mm -hmm. it change overnight? Absolutely not. Um I would implore as much as possible anybody that's in a supervisor, director position, you know, and it varies by level. I get it, whether it should or not. I don't know. Um, that's a different conversation. Um, but I know for me, that was a big thing that switched for me um, in my kind of my supervisory role is when I came in, I was 27, uh, not married, had a basset hound who slept 20 of the 24 hours of the day. So like, 
being at work wasn't a big deal to me. Um, we had part-time people um, that we would cap their hours because uh, that's all the money we could get from administration. And we tried to cap it at a hourly, those hours at an hourly rate that we would at least consider respectable um, for what they were doing. Um, hindsight, still not enough, but we were trying to make the best of it as we could. And it really hit me probably a couple years in um, with things of, you know, I couldn't control the salary, no matter how much I wanted it to go up upper administration wasn't going to give us more money. What could I control? Well, I can control the hours to make that salary worth more. And so that mm. was something we really tried to focus on with our part-time people, the graduate assistants we had at the time that, you know, maybe during a part of the year, you'd be busy, but we're not going to crush you because you don't need to just be there to be there, uh, which was a nice mm. thing about D3, kind of a different mentality there. But then when that season's over, we're only going to have you in when we need to have you in. And for big event coverage, maybe subbing for somebody because uh, they had something going on. And so really making that the money that we did have go farther was, I it was a really big revelation for me. And sometimes that fit people's schedule. They were still in AT, but you know, their spouse had a good job. And so they just needed a little, you know, needed something to keep them busy. They want to go into it. Uh, you know, stay in the profession and it worked out really well, but that was a huge thing. And I think as much as it's, it's, there's a lot of uncomfortable situations that that comes into, but that's where we as a profession need to stand up for each other and help each other out. If we're going to truly see that change, that if you want what you think you want in terms of hours and services, it's got to be compensated for that. So, sorry, long answer to potentially a shorter question. No, it makes yeah, so much perfect. sense. And honestly, I got my start in the D3 as far as that's where I learned what an athletic trainer is and was. Um, so, f for me, I think that my life now is completely different than what I expected of an athletic training profession because... Sure the D3 level I still see is struggling with trying to get good salaries for their athletic trainers. And it's always more with less resources. The school had three sports, but no support to the AT staff. And I had this discussion a lot with our AD of what, what is valuable to them. And then this gets into kind of like the stakeholder value and AT value discussion. Is it the care and the services we can provide? To me, that is our value. Mm -hmm. The rehab, the treatment, the injury evaluation, all of that mm -hmm. is, I don't it's not more important, but I think it's more value than coverage at mm -hmm. a practice that isn't deemed, you know, high risk um, to, mm -hmm. for a lot of things. Like I don't need to be there at the Sunday evening you know, batting cages because that's the only time it was available unless there was some absolute reason to be there. But that's, you know, the care versus coverage model, I think is a really right. big discussion. And what do those stakeholders, ADs, things like that truly see as valuable? In my experience, it seems to be the coverage, mm -hmm. even though I don't agree that that is the most valuable thing about our profession. It's a big thing. Absolutely. 
but that's where I think you get people really to burn out because there's never enough space for all the teams. They all want to practice as much as possible. And that ends up you being there first thing in the morning till the last thing at night. And it's hard to sustain. Um, Another thing you touched upon was the, um, the, the state and national. um, Mm -hmm. Why am I forgetting the term of? Associations. associations um i know you guys just did a podcast that i haven't listened to yet but i'm really excited to about um nata and deciding to be a member or not and i know that that is a big topic yeah. especially now always so i really like that you touched upon that too i think that comes back to the communication thing i think that to me is what i see from from that conversation um and even to um, watching things on social media is it just doesn't seem like the communication back mm-hmm. down of here is everything. Here's mm-hmm. why it is important. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's local, you know, I'm, in the state of Wisconsin, we've had a conversation and we continue to try to drive it forward. You know, why, what, what does membership get from us? Well, the legislative efforts are really our biggest one. We were able to remove the physician protocol form. So we don't technically have to work under a physician anymore in the state of Wisconsin. So that opens up entrepreneurial things. We're working Mm -hmm. on some parody language, which really isn't even our bill. It's an administrative code that we're recognized by insurers like every other medical profession is. And so that's something we're working on. And then also Mm -hmm. the conversation of getting rid of the word vigorous in quotes out of our practice act, just again, to expand the people that we can interact with and treat. And obviously there's some opposition to that um, from different interest groups, um, we'll just say. But to me, like people in the state don't know that unless they're paying attention, like really paying attention, because we have people on the board that still don't fully understand it. You know, we recorded some episodes that we're going to share within the state and potentially beyond. And like, I'm having revelations during this conversation with our, you know, people that have been on our governmental affairs committee and I've been on the board for five years or something like that. Like we have to communicate that down and it's a not in the way of we did this for you. It's here's where it's going. Here's what your money is being used for and why we think it's benefiting you. Um, Here are the resources we're putting together. And back to that thing, how many times, how many ways do we need to tell people so they actually see and go, oh, I can actually use that. I know at the D3 level, uh, we use the appropriate medical care coverage model um, within university over and over and over again. It was such a nice resource for us to have. Uh, because it had some objectiveness to it and it wasn't, and it came from our association. It wasn't just me and my colleagues making stuff up, Um, you know, and so that was really helpful as well. And I think it's just, again, that communication piece and then inviting people in to be involved without making it seem daunting. So then they really understand, you know, we talk at, we said that our president said this last year at the meeting and he caught himself mid sentence, you know, concern about membership Well, talking about that at the state meeting, other than putting the call out for people to help recruit members, everybody there is already a member. So you're preaching to the choir. Like we got to figure out how to get back out to those ones that aren't members and why it would be important. And how do we bring them in, you know, versus 
calling them out for not renewing. Uh, and so figuring out that I think is such a big piece and it's hard. It takes a lot of work, but that goes back to that leadership conversation. It's simple, but it isn't easy. Also from, uh, from the theme of our episode as an association, it maybe takes some self-reflection. Yeah. Yeah. I was just thinking. That. <laughs> <laughs> um, so is that lead-ins? I think, that, I think that's a good lead-in. Yeah. Okay. okay. All right. It's time for the action component of the AT Corner interview. Cool. So we always do an action item of this is something that athletic trainers or whoever's listening can take away now. They can do something now. Mm-hmm. Um, how can ATs b- begin to bring out a leader in themselves? That's a great question. We're going to keep with the theme of just sit, start with sitting and self-reflecting of what leadership means to you. What have you liked? What have you not liked? in your own experience under people or when you've led before um, and just try and really figure out what it means to you. Cause then you can start, start taking steps to figure out what that then looks like if you're wanting to move in to leadership, if it's within AT, I think one of the easiest ways is just get involved in a state committee, start there that if, if there are anything like Wisconsin, we're always looking for people and you can be in as involved as you want, or you can kind of keep it to a minimum and they're still going to want you to be a part of it. And it's a great way to start getting into that um, as well. And I'd say the only other one I'd think of is reach out to a mentor. Uh, that's one thing I've used through NATA. It was, I think it's the gather um I went through that. I, I signed up as both a mentor and a mentee, found somebody to be a mentor. We meet monthly, uh, just to talk about anything really. And it's now just become we're, you know, friends um, in that regard. And they ask me as much as I ask them. And so those would be my two action steps. So actually, I don't know that I've, I mean, I know people who've done it, but I've never talked to them about yeah. their experience. Like, could we talk about that a little bit? Like sure. what? It is, I feel like a lot of people might think it's so daunting yeah. to sign up to meet someone and, and have to sit and talk to them. What was your experience with that? Uh, it was easy. You basically go in, you answer a few questions. So you kind of get put um, into a database, for lack of a better description, mm-hmm. both at, either as a mentor or a mentee. And then, you know, it, to me, it's kind of on the mentee to go and seek out the mentor. Mm-hmm. Yes, mentors could do it the opposite way. And maybe that's something anybody who wants to be a mentor should consider. Hey, if nobody's reached out to you, maybe go reach out to someone mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. to see. That could be good as well. But um, the person I ended up finding uh, was Troy Hain, who ended up working. He works in the same health system as me, just on a completely in a different state. And oh, he's been in the profession for longer than I have. So I was like, this could be really you know, good just to get his perspective, but then also just the inner workings of our health system and me learning more about that and potentially ways we can do. So we've got mm-hmm. a few more things to bounce off of. I literally just sent him, I can't remember if there's a message feature in there, if I, it has his email and I just emailed mm-hmm. him. And honestly, I was just cold emailing somebody like that 
most people, especially if they signed up to be a mentor, are going to respond. If you don't hear from them in two weeks, send them another one because it could have got lost or buried just by the amount of emails that come through. But or in spam. Sign, say that again. Or in spam. <laughs> right. Yeah. Also not not unusual. But if they signed up for it, odds are they did it for a reason. And the reason is to right. try and interact with someone. So um, I think it's worth checking out. I know there's some states that do similar things. We're trying to do it potentially within the state. Uh, especially geared towards young professionals. Again, kind of all the concepts that we were talking about of just avoiding some of the landmines along the way um, that, you know, maybe you're, it's easier to talk to someone outside of your department so then you can get a fresh perspective or you don't feel like you're asking a question that could ruffle feathers or, you know, whatnot, or maybe your boss doesn't lead the way that you would prefer to be led. So you want to talk to somebody else about it. That, that could all be um, really useful. And I encourage, especially younger professionals to do so. And even myself, like every once in a while, the more experienced, we'll say ATs get referred to as, you know, like the good old boys club. Well, we got to understand their perspective too, because they're still a huge part of the profession and that's still where a lot of things happen. So I need to learn from them as much as they could potentially learn from me. Mm -hmm. So it kind of goes back to what you said at the beginning of our episode, that this talk it really gave a good foundation on not only becoming just a better professional, but also probably just like a better person, you know, because we do work with people like obviously patients and stuff, but like our stakeholders and stuff, like they are people too. So being able to, um, have the skills to interact with them. I think, I think this, this episode, like I really love what we chatted about just a lot of highlighting why having just that humility and self-reflection is so important. I really, really like that when we talked about being a leader, it wasn't just about stepping into a leadership yeah. role, but anyone in any level mm. can be a leader. Yeah. It just what are they doing to have other people follow? Yeah, for sure. In any capacity. Um also I thought um something that we didn't touch upon but we talked about I think it was in the podcast episode so he brought us on athletic training chat. Yes. Um, in that episode, I believe he told us that he and Rick Cox have never met in person. Oh, that's funny. The author, uh, their author. Yeah, that's pretty funny. Yeah. So I just think that that just what a time we live in. <laughs> right. Right. But also like just shows like the networking mm -hmm. and just our profession is just really cool. Yeah. It's just we do a lot of cool things in this profession, man. So if you would like to connect with Joel, make sure you check out Athletic Training Chat, which is a podcast you could find on any podcast mm -hmm. directory. Um, probably wherever you're listening to this, you could probably find Athletic Training Chat. Yeah. Um, if you guys are new, we do every other episode as education or stories. This one was an education episode. Next week, we're going back to our story episodes. So make sure you check out our Instagram at AT Corner Podcast for story prompts where we get experiences from athletic trainers all over to um, join in and share their stories and then we put those in an episode so that will be next week and if you're interested in our facebook group we have a facebook group facebook.com slash group slash at corner podcast where you can go ahead and comment on this thread join in talk about um, your role in leadership or what you think a leader is um, really anything along this topic or make a new post about something else um, we'd love to chat so yeah. 
Got anything else? Nope, that was perfect. Thank you for helping us showcase athletic training behind the tape. Bye. <laughs>